Welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. We welcome our church family and also our visiting friends. Thank you for coming to worship with us. To find out more about Greensburg Baptist Church, our upcoming events, and other church activities, visit our website anytime at greensburgbaptist.com. Once again, thank you for being with us this morning. We are so glad that you're here. And I want to take just a moment to say a special welcome to our radio guests this morning and also those who are joining us by any type of technology. If you are joining us by technology this morning, as this sermon ends, you will either see or hear instructions on specifically how to contact us if you have questions of a spiritual nature, and we hope that you will do just that. Once again, welcome to Greensburg Baptist Church. I am going to be completing uh, the Invisible God sermon series this morning. Uh, this is the third of three sermons in this particular series based on Colossians 1.15 that's on the screen for you right now. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And as I have for each of the three sermons in this particular series, I am going to be preaching from the CSB version of the Bible. Hope you have your Bible with you this morning, whatever version it might be. If you don't, uh, we're going to have the text on the screen for you this morning. But as I often ask you to do as I read God's Word, if you are physically able to stand, would you stand with me right now to honor the reading of God's Word? Again, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15, which was the first verse of the first sermon in this series, and read the entire text to you this morning. He, referring to Jesus Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. And by him, all things hold together. Verse 18. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. And right here is where our text begins for today, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
we proclaim Him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with His strength that works powerfully in me. Pray with me, please. Father, thank You for the reading of Your Word. And Father, right now I pray specifically that You will give me the ability to preach this text fully, but also with a heart of love. And Father, I pray that it will be received in the same manner. I pray it will be received fully and also with a heart of love. And for this, we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it all. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so since this is the third sermon and it's been a while since you've heard the other two, I really wanted to review the previous two sermons in this series, but I I literally cannot. I feel strongly that this morning's supposed to be the final uh, sermon in this series, and due to the number of things that I've got to cover today, I simply cannot review the previous two sermons. We don't have time. We would be here two hours. I'm not, I'm not kidding. So, but I want to encourage you, if you did not hear the other two sermons in this series, please go to our website at greensburgbaptist.com. You can, you can download either the audio or video of any sermon that's preached here on Sunday morning. And we encourage you to do that, especially if you miss sermons. But I want to review some background information as it applies to what you're going to hear this morning. And this should be a reminder to you if you've heard either of the other two sermons in this series. This is possibly, when I say this, the book of Colossians is possibly the first of Paul's prison epistles. And I want to be sure that you get that. It's going to be crucial here in a moment when we dive into this text. He wrote it from prison. The church at Colossae, the people that this letter was written to, it was not founded by Paul, nor had it even been visited by Paul. But it was written to encourage a group of believers who Paul knew happened to be growing spiritually. He also knew that this same group of believers were being subjected to false teaching, which undermined the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Please keep every one of those points in mind. And the very first sermon in this series, I put this particular image up on the screen for you. And this is just a list of stuff. I realize this is not the perfect list for any of you. But my point in showing you this again is just to get you to realize that you do indeed have a list. You know what's on it. And as you're looking at that list, you know whether or not God or Jesus is invisible on that list. Now, many people, when you look at their list, God is invisible until those times of tragedy when we feel like we need him. And then he appears in the first place on the list. But often other times he's not on the list at all. And I want to tell you this morning that we need Jesus just as much on those days that we feel like that everything in the world is going right as we do on those days when we know that our worlds are falling apart. So I want to ask you this morning, where is Jesus on your list? He's either on it or he's not. He's either in first place or he's not. And if he is in any place other than first place, it doesn't honor him. And I want to, before we jump into our text this, this morning, I want to share this particular quote with you one more time by Brother Paul Ballard. 
And he says, the things that many of us are most passionate about now will not even exist in eternity. So one more time, what's on your list? And where is Jesus on your list? Now today we're going to be covering verses 24 through 29. And we're going to see that these verses, although there's not very many of them, they deal with the truth about ministry. Now I want you to know this morning, the goal of ministry is not just to see people saved. Stay with me. Stay with me this morning. The goal of ministry is not just to see people saved. Now, of course, we want to see people saved. You've heard me share before. It burdens me greatly that we don't usually see salvation in our Sunday morning worship services. That torments me. I cannot tell you how much that torments me. It torments Brother Blake, and I hope it torments you. I really do. We should never be satisfied that we're not seeing people saved. But outside all of that, the goal of ministry is not just to see people saved, but instead it's to bring all believers, listen to me, all believers, it's to bring all believers to maturity in Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for just a moment. The goal of ministry is not just to see people come to Christ. Of course we want to do that. Of course we want to see that, but we cannot leave them there. But instead, we want to bring all believers to maturity in Jesus Christ. And I want to give you an example this morning. Have you ever experienced a situation, maybe where a child has grown up and now they are suddenly at either the magic age of 18 or maybe it's 21? One of those two particular ages. And perhaps this child has always had everything handed to them. They have had to work for nothing. And suddenly they're to that magic age where they're expected to do something. And many times they don't want to. They don't want to. I wonder, have you ever had a thought or possibly you've even said out loud, they just need to grow up. They just need to grow up and act like an adult. I've said that many times. I really have when, when I see certain behaviors or activities. How many of you remember the quote that's on the board right now? It's a slogan from Toys R Us. It says, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Now, probably many of you, just as soon as you saw that, you can also hear the jingle that went along with that. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Now remember this morning, you even heard me pray that I want to deliver today's message fully, but also with a heart of love. I want to tell you this morning, there are many people, many people who call themselves a Christian and they have absolutely no desire to grow up spiritually. None. And there's something wrong with that. It's true that Jesus does indeed meet us where we are, but it is not his desire to leave you there. And if you are comfortable with staying there, you need to check your spiritual pulse because it's very possible you don't have one. Folks, it's very 
possible that you don't have one. If you are comfortable in not growing in your relationship with Christ, no matter how young or how old you are, if you are comfortable staying stagnant, something is wrong. That is not the desire of Jesus Christ for you or your life. Now, I want to tell you again, remember why Paul wrote this letter. He wrote it, first of all, from his prison cell, and he wrote it to a group of believers who he knew were growing spiritually that he also knew were being subjected to false teaching. Now, remember... He didn't just go to prison because he thought it would be a nice, quiet place where he could concentrate on writing this letter. That's not why he went to prison. Prison was not a fun place for Paul. Now, if I'm writing, I love to write. But I like, I like silence when I write. But that's not why Paul went to prison to write this letter. He happened to write this letter from prison. So we have to process that and we have to deal with this question. Might I, might I have to suffer for the sake of Christ? Might I have to suffer for the sake of Christ? And let me just answer that right now for you. The answer is yes. Yes. You might have to suffer for the sake of Christ. In fact, if you live long enough, it's very likely that you will suffer for the sake of Christ if Jesus does not come back first. Are you ready? Are you up for that challenge? Now, in verse 24, Paul, Paul tells us that he rejoices in my sufferings for you. I rejoice in my suffering for you. Now, remember the verse for, from the book of James where it says to count it pure joy or all joy when you face trials of various kinds. That's sort of hard to do, isn't it? We usually do not rejoice while we're suffering. If we're being honest, we don't want to suffer. We really don't want to suffer. But it is coming. Now, Paul is saying, I rejoice in my suffering. Be sure you get this. He's not saying I'm rejoicing because of my suffering. There's a big difference here, folks. He's not saying I rejoice because of my sufferings. But he's saying I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And then look and see what it says. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. Now I want to be sure we don't misinterpret this particular phrase. Paul by no means is saying here that the, the death, the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for us, he by no means is saying that that's not sufficient because he knew that it was sufficient. He knew that. But he also knew that Jesus is not here with him physically at this very moment. Just like Jesus is not present in this sanctuary this morning. Now, his Holy Spirit is here in this sanctuary, but you cannot reach out and touch him. You cannot reach out and touch his body this morning. But you can feel his Holy Spirit here. You can feel that. Paul knew that Jesus had been crucified. He knew that he had been buried. 
He knew that he could not reach out and physically touch him. Paul is trying to be the hands and feet of Christ here. What are we trying to do each day? Paul reached out and took those blows now that are still being hurled at Christ. Guess what? You're going to have them too. You will have them too. If you are truly following Christ, you're going to have to take some stuff for the cause of Christ. You're going to have to take insults. You're going to have to take humiliation. You're going to have to take ridicule. But let me tell you, just as Paul would have said, it is absolutely worth it. It is absolutely worth it. Verse 25, he says, I have become its servant. That's a big word. It is an important word. Paul realizes his position. Now we look at Paul and we've got the rest of the story. We know that Paul wrote more more of our New Testament than any other man. These people in this time didn't know it. They didn't know he would go on to do that. You could argue Paul had an important position. But what did Paul say he was? A servant. What should we say we are? A servant. What should people look see when they look at us? They should see servants. What do they see? What do they see? And then he's, he's uh, specifying here that according to God's commission that was given to him for us, it is to make the word of God fully known. Fully known. So in verse 26, we start to see a word introduced called mystery. So what is this mystery? It says it's the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but is now revealed to his saints. I want you to know, when we think about this mystery this morning, it's not the same as reading a mystery book, a mystery novel. It's not the same as watching a mystery movie. Perhaps this particular word would be more correctly translated in our current language as secret. But Paul said, I've got a secret. I want to tell you what it is. And guess what it is? It's that Gentiles can be saved. Gentiles can be saved. And folks, we should all be saying amen to that this morning. Because guess what you are? Gentiles. Aren't you thankful that you have the opportunity to be saved? Paul is, Paul knew that this group of people were being taught that it was, salvation was based on Jesus plus something. In fact, Jesus plus many things is what they were being taught. That's not the way it is. It's not Jesus plus good works. It's not Jesus plus how much you put in the offering plate. It's not Jesus plus keeping some type of law or ritual. It is only Jesus. Only Jesus. And folks, the secret, when you drill it down to what Paul's saying, it's Jesus, that he has come to be the Savior of the world. But yet so many people do not take it. So many people will reject Jesus. And then he says in verse 27, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you. The hope... Of glory. 
And I've got to ask you this morning, is Christ in you? Is He truly in you? When the world looks at you, and they will, when you leave this place today, as we say so many times, when you go out those doors, you are being commissioned into the mission field. Do you realize that? Do you realize that eyes are watching you? They're going to see what you do tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. Every day except Sunday. Most of the world that's looking, they don't see you inside these walls. But what they do see is you outside these walls. And they also hear the words that come out of your mouths. Are those words pleasing to God? They either are or they're not. There's no in-between. They see and they hear what we do. What are they seeing? What are they hearing? And you know, we have got to be bold. We've got to share Jesus. We've got to be His hands and feet. So many times I have the conversation with people and they will present a rebuttal to me and say something like, Brother Todd, I don't think I actually have to say anything. Because people should be able to tell that I'm different just simply by the way that I live. And I've got several responses from that. Perhaps I can tell that you're different, but different from what? Different from what? What kind of difference are they seeing? We all realize that there's a lot of really good people in the world today that do not believe in Jesus Christ, correct? Maybe they're even living a a better moral life than many people who call themselves Christians. So how on earth can people possibly tell that there is a, a Savior by looking at my life when somebody that doesn't even know Jesus might be living better than me? And then so many other times I hear this, that I live my life based on preach the gospel daily and if necessary, use words. That just makes me sick, folks. It's absolutely necessary to use words. It is absolutely necessary to use words. What if I were to tell you, I want you to feed the hungry and if necessary, use some food. Now, you would all think I was crazy. And it would sure sure sound like it. But that particular statement is just as valid as the first I shared with you. It's necessary to use food to feed the hungry. And it is necessary to use words to preach the gospel. And I wonder this morning, are we doing that? So as we look at verses 28 and 29, I want to just ask us the question, what do we take away from this this morning? What do we take away from these verses of Scripture? Well, first of all, it says we proclaim Him. Now, Brother Corey led us in that beautiful song right before the sermon. It says, Christ we proclaim. Didn't that sound beautiful as we sang that together? But you want to know what would be even more beautiful? If we actually live those words outside these walls... That's what really would be beautiful. It's easy to come together as a group of believers and sing those words. But what we really need to be doing is living it outside these walls. Remember that I said once you leave this building, you are being commissioned as a missionary. Now, your mission field might be your neighborhood. Your mission field might be your place of employment. 
Your mission field may be somewhere throughout the United States. Or it might be somewhere throughout the world. But don't be confused. Don't be deceived. You have a mission field. Are you using it? And then I want to talk a few minutes about this warning and teaching everyone with wisdom phrase. And I'm going to tell you, I could probably talk for an hour about this because, you know, we live in a society that evidently expects warnings. We live in a society that expects warnings. These images are probably not going to be real clear, but the first one is a McDonald's coffee cup. They tell us that the coffee's hot. Personally, I love my coffee scalding hot. I would be offended if it were not scalding hot. I really would. I don't, I don't expect to purchase cold coffee. I don't. But a few years ago, McDonald's happened to get sued because their coffee was hot. And I just, as we go through this discussion, I just want to ask the question, can, can we get to the point of agreeing that at some point some common sense has got to kick into the equation? Perhaps the moment that you take that coffee cup and you can't hold it in your hand more than three or four seconds without it burning your hand, maybe the light bulb should go off. That might burn my tongue. That might burn my lips. Why do I need a warning on the coffee cup? Where is my responsibility in that? Where is it, really? Yet we're in a, we're in a society that wants and expects warnings. Now, that uh, picture right under the coffee cup is a picture of some flour bags. Many of you know I love to cook. I love to seriously cook, and I love to seriously bake. And about a year or so ago, I started noticing on flour bags that now they tell me that I should fully cook my flour before I enjoy it. Now, just think about that. Think about that. I could take you to my pantry. If you came to my house, I'd be glad to show you my pantry. Anytime you come, I will have at least three different kinds of flour in my pantry. Now, I'm not saying three bags of the same kind of flour. Three different kinds of flour in my pantry that I use for different things. Every one of those flour bags, no matter what company it comes from, now contains this warning. I suspect... It has something to do with someone eating, let's just say, raw cookie dough. And they got sick. Well, first of all, I'm not going to serve you raw cookie dough. But if I did, one thing you can rest assured, I am not walking around with the flower bag and say, will you read this first? I'm not, do- I'm not going to do that. The wrong group of people are being warned. Now, what about this picture when it comes up on the screen here? I'm not sure it's going to come up. I'm sure the enemy doesn't want you to see this particular picture because it's a picture of me. Miss Karen, I might just have to have you to put it on. It's a picture of me with a cup of coffee and a spoonful of flour. Here, well, no, that's not. It's the one right after that. I might just have to have you to put the image up. But you know, if you were to see me sitting down in my recliner 
with a cup of coffee. Hot coffee. Let's just, let's just come to that conclusion. If I'm drinking coffee, it's going to be hot coffee. And a spoonful of flour, you'd think that was insane. Nobody in their right mind would do that. Nobody in their right mind would do that. If you want to just throw the JPEG up on the screen, that'll be fine of that. But nobody in their right mind would do it. And if we could go to the next slide after that. I want to ask, what about the warning for sin? Literally, what about the warning for sin? You know, it's all through this book. But we don't want to take it seriously, do we? We we don't want to take it seriously. And sometimes it escalates to the point that certain people don't want me to take it seriously either. Or Brother Blake to take it seriously. Because we're afraid we might offend somebody if we address sin. Now I want you to hear me. Focus on me, please. I don't want you to miss the main part of the sermon today. Folks, I'm going to tell you there is coming a day that I am going to stand and give an account for every one of you that has been under my pastoral care. Do you realize that? It's a scary thought, isn't it? I would, again, I am sharing this with love this morning, but I would much prefer to offend you temporarily and tell you the truth about what God says about sin than to see you spend your eternity in hell. That's my preference. That's my preference. Folks, what about the warning for sin? Do we take it seriously or not? What will we do about it? What are we going to do about it? Here in a few minutes, we are going to leave this place. What are we going to do at that point? If you can uh, forward to the next one. I hope you can see this. The The date of this article is March 5th of this year. And the headline says, A man was mauled to death by a lion that he kept in his backyard. Now just think about that for a minute. Does it surprise anybody that a lion would maul you to death? Really? Does it, does it surprise us? But he thought this was a pet. Many days it exhibited the signs of a pet. It acted like a pet. But it didn't on this day. Earlier this week, many of you have heard me say several times in the last year that I listen to every sermon that J.D. Greer, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, preaches from his pulpit at the Summit Church. And about a week ago, he used an analogy that I had never thought of before. And what he said was, sin is a predator. Did you hear me this morning? Sin is a predator. Just like that line on the screen is a predator, sin is a predator in your life. And if you are dealing with sin in your life, anything from gossip that you think, well, it's really not that bad, or adultery, or anything between, if you're dealing with that stuff, it will consume you. It 
will kill you. Sin is a predator in your life. It doesn't matter if you can point to somebody else that you believe is doing something worse. That is completely beside the point. It doesn't matter what somebody else is doing. It matters a lot with what you're doing. You are not going to answer for anyone else, although I will. But most of you are not going to have to answer for anyone other than yourselves. Let's get serious about what it's going to be when we stand before Jesus Christ. We're going to hear him say one of two things. And it's either going to be enter in, my good and faithful servant, or it's going to be depart from me, I have never known you. And from that moment, you're either going to spend eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. There is no in between. And so I wonder this morning, will you do it? Will you proclaim him? Do you realize you've got the responsibility to warn and teach everyone with all wisdom? And look, this goes back to what I said at the very beginning. So that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Everyone, all Christians, mature in Christ. It says, I labor for this striving with His strength. Not my strength, but the strength of Jesus Christ that works powerfully in me. Can you say that in your life this morning? Is Jesus Christ and His strength working powerfully within me, within you? I pray that the answer is yes. As we move towards our invitation this morning, right, right this very minute, I want to talk to the people that cannot say that they know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. I want you to know today is the day of salvation. Now is the appointed time. Don't think you'll wait till you get home. Don't think you'll wait till Wednesday night. Don't think that you will wait until next Sunday. If Jesus is knocking on your heart's door now, today is the day of salvation. Do not leave this place without giving your life to the Lord. And then I want to talk to the people for just a moment that perhaps during this sermon you've realized that, oh my, I'm, I'm a baby in Christ. I have not matured spiritually And if that's you this morning, I want you to know you can make that commitment this morning, right now, that from this point on, my life is going to be different. I am going to honor Jesus. Jesus is going to be first place in my life. I want that hunger to read the Word. I want that hunger to pray. And if you can't say that again... We need to be checking our spiritual pulse because it is not feasible to think that Jesus wants you to stay a spiritual baby. Again, yes, He does meet us where we are, but He does not leave us there. So I wonder this morning, what, what's the decision? Today's decision time. What decision will you make? What will you do? Will you truly proclaim Him? Will it be more than just singing it within this building? Will it be living it instead as you go from this place, as you go into your mission field? And finally this morning, maybe there's some people that have been convicted during this message of, 
You know, the life I've been living outside this place looks an awful lot like the world. If that's the case, you need to make the commitment today that from this point forward, it is going to be different. Maybe you just need to make the commitment. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you so much for your presence that's in this place this morning. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to proclaim your word. And Father, right now I pray that you are knocking on the heart doors of many people in this sanctuary. Father, I pray that this message was preached in love. I pray that it was preached fully. And Father, just as I prayed at the very beginning, I pray that it was received in love and that it was received fully. Father, I pray right now for the people that need to make decisions. Father, I pray that you will just lead them out of their seats right this very moment. I pray that this altar will be full, whether the need is for salvation or whether the need is just for a deeper commitment to you. Lord, I pray that we will see decisions made today. And I pray, I pray that we will see you change lives. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.